This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit soul mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. When I do webinar interviews or I give big speeches to thousands of people all over the world, I usually will talk about data and sometimes show my dashboards, like my SaaS dashboard as I'm growing my SaaS company, The Top Inbox, or my website dashboard, which shows how I take impressions, to convert them into email leads and convert them into customers for NathanLacka.com. The funny thing is, guys, I build these dashboards with myself, no developer, and it's basically free, and I use one tool to do it. You can see the tool at nathanlacka.com forward slash analytics. I'll tell you more later in the show. This is episode 674. Coming up tomorrow morning, Andrew Yates comes on. His company, Artesian, has passed $700,000 in monthly recurring revenue and has raised $40 million. And I asked him a question. I said, Andrew, would you ever acquire Mattermark or any other company? Listen to how he thinks about acquisitions bright and early tomorrow morning. And every morning, remember, there's a new episode that comes out live at 6 a.m. Eastern. Good morning, everybody. My guest this morning is Ramin Sayer. He's currently the president and CEO of a company called Sumo Logic, an industry-leading SaaS-based cloud analytics company backed by really some great VCs and has an impressive list of customers and partners. We'll jump into that. Now, previously, he was a senior vice president and GM at VMware, uh, where he developed the product and business strategy and led the fastest-growing aspect of that business. Previously, he held multiple executive roles with leading companies such as HP Software, Mercury Software, Tibco Software, iPlanet Software, AOL, and Netscape. Ramin, are you ready to take us to the top? Let's do it. Dude, your history is like a who's who of like the SaaS industry. You've been around a while, huh? Yeah, I've had a pretty fortunate career. Um, and yeah. obviously that's helped put me in the position here of the wonderful company Sumo. So tell us what Sumo does for those not familiar and what's your business model? How do you make money? Sure. So simply put, uh, we are trying to take advantage of the massive disruption that's taking place with respect to digital transformation. And so in a nutshell, what Sumo helps our customers do is build, run, and secure modern apps in a simple, secure, and easy-to-consume service uh, possibility, right? And we do that through a variety of technology means, but also... Uh, taking a lot of complexity out of how they're really building and running these securing these modern apps today. And what's your business model? 
So obviously we're a software as a service company, and so therefore it's subscription-based, and we price and license based on how much data you're ingesting, how long you want to retain it, and we have a couple different versions of our products depending on your capabilities requirements. And so give us just, obviously we could probably jump into every different customer cohort. It's going to be different, but if you just average across your customer base, we can get a sense of customer size. What's the average customer paying you per month? What's your ARPU? The average varies, right? Because we have uh, quite a different segments and therefore cohorts across the 20 plus quarters that we've been selling. I can tell you that um, we track all the net dollar retention tr uh, statistics from every firm that's out there. And obviously you're probably very familiar with that. And the median, or sorry, the mean tends to be about 103 to 105. Uh, the best in class companies tend to be 110 to 115. We've averaged- You're talking about, an you're talking about annual net revenue expansion. Correct, net dollar retention yeah. for each cohort. Yep. So if you look at our mean across 20 cohorts, we've been well north of 150. Got it, year over year. Correct, and lifetime, not year over and year. What is Lifetime. Okay. Right. And what is the, uh, Ramin, what is the, just give us a sense of average customer size. Like I, I know it varies, but are we talking $100,000 annual contracts on average or 25,000 or less or what? So uh, I guess the best way to answer that first is, you know, we have a massive service that's available <clears throat> to our customers. And, you know, so the small mom and pop shops, the startups, uh, we provide them with a mechanism to use our service for free. So we have quite a bit of community users that aren't paying us anything, frankly, and they're using the free service. Then we have, have the zero to 250 employee segment or one to 250 employee segment. And you know, they're anywhere from a $3,000 ARR to $8,000 ARR. Um, and typically what we see the buying pattern there is pretty consistent. They'll start off with um, one use case and one data set. And usually within a quarter and a half to two quarters after the initial purchase, there's already an expansion of that original use case and then into another use case. As you tend to move up market, and we segment everything by employees, um, when you're in the mid-market or mid-enterprise, for us that is all the way up to roughly about a thousand employees. Um, you know, the ASPs tend to obviously increase. They're anywhere around 50 yeah. to 150K. Um, that's and, annual average selling price? Yeah, that's the a annual contract value, ACV. Um, and so that usually means that there's more than one constituent also involved in that process, whereas the SMB market tends to be the same decision-maker user is also the economic buyer, whereas when you move mid-market or enterprise, it stands out to usually three to five people involved in that buying process. Who do we typically okay. target then is probably the next question you're asking, right? Or thinking. Yeah. Well, what is the, I'm curious what, uh, for each of those cohorts, and I imagine you have sub cohorts in both of those, but the SMB and then the mid market up to a thousand employees in each of those segments, what's, I mean, how many customers do you have? Are we talking thousands or hundreds in each of those segments? Yeah. So we have well over 1300 paying customers. Um, and Typically what we see is about 51, 52% of them are enterprise. The other 60% are mid-market SMB. It's a good split. Um, obviously when you split. look at ACV bases or AR bases, it's a little bit more tilted towards the enterprise than it is 
obviously mid-market SMB. Just the amount of spend that they typically would do with a public cloud, let alone a SaaS company providing services for public cloud usage. Yep. Good. That makes good sense. Now, we've kind of teased a little bit about where you are today, and I want to talk about where you see this industry going. Tell me real quick, though, before we go back and kind of get the launch story, where are you guys at right now in terms of capital raised, or have you bootstrapped? Well, um, you mentioned earlier, we have the who's who of the investor syndicate, right? So we're pretty well capitalized. We've done about uh, five rounds so far. We've raised uh, just over about $160 million in capital. Um and it runs the gamut of Greylock, Sutterhill, Sequoia, Excel, DFJ, and IVP, and a few others. Yep. And guys, uh, I, I, the reason I came across Sumo Logic is because we actually had, uh, uh, Ramin just mentioned DFJ. We had uh, Tim Draper on the show back in episode 129 at nathanlacka.com forward slash the top 129. Uh, and Tim is obviously the guy behind DFJ or one of the many people behind DFJ. So good. So you've raised about 100, 150, 160 million bucks in capital. Now take us back to launch date. Ramin, when did you launch? Yeah, so the company is just about seven years old. And... The vision when the company was initially founded, and that was the seed investment from Greylock back in 2010, was and still remains to democratize machine data. And so you might wonder what that means. Well, our founding roots came from really the security world, where only a subset of users get access to all this data that's being generated, and that time inside the enterprise and inside the data center. And our founders fundamentally believe that there has to be a simpler way to be able to expose more than just a subset of users to this massive amount of data. And there's got to be a simpler way to be able to deliver this as a service versus requiring everything to be run and managed with traditional hardware and software and people. The third premise was there had to be an easier way to allow for analyzing this data in real time versus, you know, presupposing rules and correlations and looking in the rear view mirror for this massive amount of data that was typically warranted around security analytics. So what was the point here? The team initially felt that, you know, there's got to be a competitive advantage and a technology innovation and innovative way to deliver machine data analytics as a service to not only the security professionals, therefore the security ops team or CISO and the analysts, but also a plethora of users that don't get access to that information, most notably developers and DevOps teams. So you fast forward all the way to today, we have well over 30,000 users in our system. On an average day, we're analyzing well over 100 petabytes of information. And every few days, I'm adding another petabyte to storage. So you can only imagine how much I'm doing with AWS, right? And so yep. what the purpose here is, our vision was always and remains to democratize machine data. So we're constantly looking at innovative ways to reduce the complexity, reduce the cost, and improve the way and access to a plethora of users across our customers' organizations to be able to share, collaborate, and communicate more effectively with all this machine data running these modern apps. And Ramin, so can you tell a real story? Like, I know Orange uses you guys. Can you tell a real story about how Orange uses you on a daily basis? So we'll tell you a couple of stories. Um, you know, one uh, is a credit card payment processing company called Visa. Um, 
Okay. So they've been a customer with us for a few years. And we actually Small started company, with, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the interesting thing with Visa, uh, they actually started in a, in a cybersecurity use case, in a fraud detection use case. Um, so they're extracting all of this uh, my data from their CDNs and looking at logins from around the world and looking at patterns because of our machine learning algorithm in, this, in the system. And a couple years ago, they actually, if you you may recall, they launched a service with Apple around Apple Pay. And so they actually were using us for business insights to look at activations per second, per minute, per hour, per day that's generating revenue. But at the same time, they're looking at patterns around, you know, how does this user from this location suddenly try to uh, request multiple credit card applications at the same time. So those are fraud detection type of algorithms they're looking at while they're looking at the service. Let's use another example. There's a company called Metadata, and Metadata is trying to disrupt the pharmaceutical industry in the clinical trials process. And they felt that there had to be a simpler way to provide a simple, secure, and scalable service so that they can expedite the clinical trial process. And they tried for well over nine months with traditional on-prem tools. And they ultimately came to Sumo and they realized, hey, we're going to move to the cloud. We're going to be using a public cloud infrastructure service. We need the way to guarantee and segregate this data so that, you know, we can pass our audit and regulatory requirements, but we can also improve the cycle times for how we analyze this data for our companies. So that's a great example of a different non-traditional tech company using tech and innovation like what Sumo provides to help transform an industry like clinical trials and pharmaceuticals. So would you, I mean, uh, Ramin, I want to understand this. It sounds like, I mean, are you guys the plumbing that connects a lot of these applications together to make the data even possible? Or are you just helping people analyze the data once it comes out of the system so that they can do things like fraud prevention? Good question. So at the lowest level, we simulate or collect and ingest and analyze a plethora of different sources of data. Most notably, it's log data, it's event data, it's telemetry data, and, and time series data, okay? Then what we've done is we've purpose-tailored the analysis in our ML, or machine learning algorithms, to really address three distinct use cases today. The first one is how developers, DevOps teams, tech ops teams, site reliability engineers, uh, improve the way that they actually build and release their code to production. Okay. And so typically a lot of companies talk about DevOps and about this notion of continuous integration, continuous deployment. We help accelerate. CI. So how do we do that? Well, we tie into all the various tool chain vendors from your source code control system to your CI CD tools and process and to your downstream monitoring tools. And we provide one single platform that analyzes all that information and provides the in context, the developer, to the tech ops team, and even to security to get a holistic 360 view. So we refer, we refer to that as full stack visibility. Okay, so that's one use case. Yep. The second use case is actually on the other side of the house, typically with the CISO, the security admins, the security analysts, and it's either because of audit, regulatory requirements, fraud and risk, or security analytics needs. So we're analyzing a lot of patterns why is this user logging in from multiple locations at the same time? We've never seen this pattern from yep. these types of IP addresses. We've never seen these sets of nodes in the infrastructure connect outside. You know, we've never seen this type of activity with this application 
and you know what's real and not real or what's normal and abnormal so our algorithms start to look at the yeah, you're, you're the reason you're the reason when i travel through europe and i buy something in spain on my bbnt card and i've never done that before bbnt shuts my account down and says call us for fraud prevention right we're one of those platforms and services that use damn that. you ramin <laughs> damn you no just kidding it's important and no it is important um good to understand hey let's transition because we've only got a couple minutes left i want to transition to some of the economic stuff because you've built an impressive business here you've raised a significant amount of capital um Real quick on context, were you one of the founding folks or were you brought in by the investors as a CEO? Uh, so actually, I joined just over two years ago, so I was not one of the founding uh, invest, founding members. Um, and really, I was brought in to help scale the company and take it to the next level and eventually take the company public. Sometimes those transitions can be rocky. So for sure. someone listening right now at that stage where they're raising around and the, and the VCs are going, we need to replace you as CEO – how would you recommend, based off your own story, they approach that? Great, insightful question. Um, you know, it really comes down to understanding what the core values are and what the culture of the company is, and how does that relate to what the founders wanted in terms of the core values and culture of the company they created. If there is that odds there, then the first thing you need to do is make sure you address that. The second piece is making sure there's alignment between the investor syndicate and the founding members in terms of what the likely, likely outcome will be for the company, right? Sometimes CEOs are brought in to flip things. Other times, CEOs are brought in to help scale the company. Other cases are brought in to turn over the team or change direction in the company, whatever it might be. Um, you have to, as a first-time CEO or uh, even as an experienced CEO, make sure there's clear alignment across the investor syndicate and the founders and executive team as to what the outcome and destination, the reason for bringing someone new in. So, to, so are, the, are the founders still at the company or have they moved on? Yes, one of our two founders, or, or say two of our three founders are still here. Um, and I spent a lot of time talking to the founders at that time and trying to assess and understand what they really saw the vision and outcome of the company and how does that match or not match or align with what the investors want. Unfortunately, yep. there was a good So your focus, I mean, it sounds like you were brought... Yeah, it sounds like there's good alignment. You said you were brought in really to take this thing public, right? And a lot of folks I've had on who are in the same situation, they're saying, Nathan, yeah, we're flirting with 100 million bucks in ARR. We got to be between kind of 100 and 150 million in ARR really to make a splash and go public and have it be successful. If I'm doing the math correctly, you said 1,300 paying customers, 50% are your, in your enterprise slug, which you said it has an annual contract value of about 100 grand. 100 grand times, again, 700 customers paying that puts you at 70 million just on that cohort. That doesn't even account for your other cohort, which you said is about 50% on your user base. So you guys have to be flirting with that $100 million mark. Am I right? We're somewhere in that range. Obviously, we're a privately held company. So um, come on, Ramin, give it to me, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, uh, we have had our fair share of bankers here lately. I'll leave it at that. But um, <laughs> you know, the other thing to also consider is that, um, you know, we don't try to make customers uh, consume more than they can initially. And that's the flaw with a lot of traditional software companies and particularly in enterprise companies. You know, we have to get reelected every single year. We have to prove value as a software, software as a service company, you have to constantly fight to earn the business every single year. And so historically we've done a lot of annual contract deals intentionally. Now what's happening is 
customers are uh, committing and signing up to more multi-year deals themselves versus Sumo pushing for that. Okay. And, because they're consuming know, so much in terms of utility. Because we've become a strategic platform for them and they see the value for the, uh, using Sumo Logic, not just in one isolated use case, like in security or operations, but also obviously in, in DevOps and public cloud. So while we land in one use case, we quickly expand in other use cases and start to consolidate other tools out and start to align the teams and help provide better collaboration across those teams. And they want to commit to a longer period with us as a result. Makes good, yeah, makes good sense for me. Let's, uh, I have a few, just last few questions here before we get into kind of the wrap up segment. So, um, in terms of growth, you've raised a ton of capital, which means you have to have proven that you know how to spend money to acquire new customers. Let's just focus on your, on your money cohort, which is, it sounds like that enterprise cohort with about a hundred thousand dollar, you know, ACBs on average. What are you spending to acquire one of those kinds of customers? So some of that varies by geography, just to be honest with you. And uh, the enterprise segment for us is so broad. I mean, it's a thousand employees or more. Um, yeah. And so it, it really depends um, with respect to the, also the use case, right? When I first came in, we were really focused on security. And these were longer sell cycles. Therefore, the cost of sale were long, was longer because we were doing displacements of traditional tools like SIM tools, security information event management tools. Uh, we, I quickly realized that a lot of our users tended to be DevOps and tech ops, site reliability engineers. And we pivoted a little bit towards core competency to really address that modern app use case and the public cloud use case. And lo and behold, our cost of sale decreased considerably by more than 40%. The average new land deal also considerably decreased in terms of time. And so my point here is if it's security related versus IT ops related versus DevOps related, there's a different cost of sale associated with that initial land. Um, so talk to me again about, yeah, talk to me again about CAC. You mentioned you took something, it was high, and then you decreased it by 40%. What'd you take CAC? What was it before you implemented that? And what'd you decrease it to? Okay, so obviously for a SaaS company, um, the LTV to CAC ratio that modern investors look for is A, the payback period, and B, the magic number. It has to be 3.0 and more. And so we're tracking at that number plus. So obviously, you know, we're tracking to uh, that same number, but the other metrics we typically pay attention to obviously is gross margin and operating margin. And we've looked at all of our industry peers. We looked at all the companies that have recently gone public uh, as well as historically gone public. And we're tracking to those metrics that are required to eventually take Sumo out. So, I mean, you mentioned your LTV to CAC ratio, you mentioned is three, which is a good industry standard, meaning you're spending one third of your total customer lifetime value on acquiring that customer. But you also mentioned payback period as being important. What is your payback period right now? Is it months or years? It's months. Um, and for enterprise software, it's very rare to see um, anything less than two years, typically is the average that we're seeing. Um, you know, obviously, we're tracking below that. Um, but you know, it's based on the fact that we have this very viral land and expand selling model. Um, our sales process tends to be anywhere from three months to five months for a new logo land and expansion happens typically within a quarter to 
two in terms of that same use case and then eventually even to uh, additional use cases as we cross sell. That's what's driving a lot of our cohort growth and cohort expansion. And so what, I mean, do you mind, Ramin, me asking, what is your payback period? Is it six months or five months or nine months or what? It's somewhere between that one and two year mark. I'll tell you that. <laughs> one and two year mark. Got it. So so between 12 and, so again, your, your lifetime, <clears throat> your contract value on this enterprise space is somewhere around 100 grand per, uh, per year. So 200 grand over two years. And what you've said is your payback period is somewhere between a year and two years. So that helps us kind of understand, uh, uh, you know, you're spending maybe call it, you know, close to six figures for one of those enterprise fit kind of customers or new logo lands. Yeah. The other thing you have to be considered of here is that, um, you know, we spend a lot on our infrastructure because we're having to analyze a lot of this data, right? And everything we do is real time and it's based off of in-memory technology. And so initially our cost to acquire is a little bit higher in terms of, you know, the uh, addition of a new customer in a cohort, but the tendency to upgrade and expand really is fueling the uh, improvement in a lot of those ratios. So while we look at the enterprise segment or the mid-market segment or the SMB segment, they all have different payback periods, they all have different land deals, they all have different ASPs, but average across them, we're tracking well at or above what's industry norm and what's required to take a company public as we've looked at all the comps in the industry. That's that's great, Ramin. Uh, last two questions here on team. How many team members are you guys at and where are you based? We're about 250 or so employees. Um, we're headquartered here in sunny Redwood City, California, right south of San Francisco. When I was recently in New York meeting dozens and dozens of you that listened to the show, I showed many of you guys my SaaS analytics dashboard. I also showed you my website and a conversion dashboard from impression to free trial to paying customer along with many other dashboards I use in my business, like my social media command center and a few others. Now, all of these are built with one tool. I just dragged and dropped them together. You can see how I did that at nathanlacka.com forward slash analytics. That's nathanlacka.com forward slash analytics. Now, these dashboards, guys, are critical to my business. You know, I refresh them on my mobile phone right when I wake up in the morning, I roll over and boom, refresh. I'll refresh them right before I have to take off on a flight because I'm just addicted to data and numbers. They drive my business. So I think they probably drive your business too. You can see my dashboards, how I use them at nathanlacka.com forward slash analytics. Now, if you go through the regular website, that's the tool is called Flipfolio, you only get 14 days free. You go through my link, you get 90 days free. So I got a great deal for you guys. It does expire. So you got to go there now. Okay, Top Tribe, I have to tell you, many people go, Nathan, you came out of nowhere, your website's growing so fast, how'd you do it? The answer is simple. So I use HostGator, I don't know if you guys know that, but I use HostGator, and the reason I do, they have like about 4,500 free templates I can use, because I don't code. They've got a great e-commerce plugin, and guys, I bug the heck out of their support. They've got 24-7 support, which I love. So what I've done is I've worked with them. You guys know I make great deals. If you go to hostgator.com forward slash Nathan, you can sign up, get your own domain for 30% off and a 45-day money-back guarantee. Okay, again, I make great deals for you guys. Go to hostgator.com forward slash Nathan to grab that now. Awesome. All right, let's wrap up here, Ramin, with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Good to great. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Uh, quite a few, um, particularly in the big data space. Um, 
obviously my friend uh, at Cloudera, and I wish them the best of luck as they recently filed to go out, uh, Mr. Tom Riley. That's a good one. Number three, besides your own, what's your favorite online tool, like Acuity Scheduling? favorite online tool? Well, um, I'm a social media guy, so I tend to still use, obviously, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, more than anything. Um, but I would say that uh, I probably would argue that would be my most favorite because I use it most frequently. Twitter? Twitter and LinkedIn, correct. Great. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Oh, that depends on the month and the quarter, uh, typically around six to seven. All right, six and a half. And what's your situation? Married, single, you have kids? I'm married to a wonderful woman, uh, Samantha. We have two boys that are 11 and nine. Two boys. And how old are you, Ramin? I'm going to be 45 this year. All right, take it home for us. Last question. Take us back 25 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? I think that um, if I was to look back and tell myself um, when I was 20 years old, the slow and steady path, um, the ability to absorb experiences through different companies and stages of companies, as well as... Uh, refraining from jumping to the new thing and being patient to learn the skill as well as experience will pay off in the long run. There you guys have it. The slow and steady path will pay off in the long run from Ramin. He joined Sumo Logic two years ago. They've since gone on to raise, uh, again, about $150 million in total, have 1,300 paying customers, have a very healthy uh, three LTV to CAC ratio. Uh, their payback period is between one and two years. Team of 250 people based in Redwood City, California. Potential IPO candidate here in the next several years. We'll have to wait and see, but they're certainly helping thousands of customers, again, when it comes to data and data analysis, not only connectivity, but analyzing patterns and trends uh, via their tool, Sumo Logic. Ramin, thank you for taking us to the top. Thanks very much. If you enjoyed Ramin today, go back and listen to Jerome from yesterday, where he breaks down how to get your first 100 customers for your software company. It would mean the world to me if you guys got any value from this episode, if you would go leave a review on iTunes right now and then subscribe. You know, I hustle like heck to get these episodes out every freaking day for you guys. And trust me, I love it. I would do it with no listeners, but boy, oh boy, it makes my day and it makes my team's day when we see great reviews and get your feedback. So thanks so much. Okay, Top Tribe, I love giving away free money. I feel like Oprah giving away cars, and I have something special for you today. How many of you have heard our super sharp guests talk about success they've had with Facebook and Google Ads? Well, all of you listening right now, yes, if you're listening, you get $100 in free AdWords. Here's how you get it, okay? Again, thanks for listening. Get the free $100 from Google, right, when you sign up with my website host provider, HostGator. Go sign up now to get your free money. Hostgator.com forward slash Nathan. Again, that's hostgator.com forward slash Nathan.